You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Well, good morning, Radiant Church. So good to be with all of you here. If you are new, welcome to Radiant. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're watching online as well, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you leave us a comment. Hit that like button or rather that love button, that little heart there. Yeah. Click that button right now and let us know that you are here. Well, listen, before we get into the message, I want to highlight something quickly. Maybe some of you saw it. If you have a Facebook account, you may have seen this, but we are celebrating our four-year anniversary coming up in just a few more weeks. Radiant turns four, and we're celebrating that on Sunday evening at 4.30 p.m. Now, this is a bit different than normal. Normally, we gather right after church, and we're not going to do it that way this year. We're going to try something different. We're going to come back to church at 4.30. We're going to have a huge tent out there. We're going to have burgers. We're going to have dogs. We're not hot dogs, I should say. Um, we're going to have chips and water, maybe some Fago in there for some Fago fans, um, maybe some ice cream sandwiches. We'll see. It's going to get crazy, kids. And we're going to have a great time celebrating the Lord's faithfulness here at Radiant Church. we got bouncy houses lined up for the kids, so make sure you put helmets on them and get them ready to come enjoy themselves. And then afterwards, we're going to come back into the sanctuary around 6 p.m., and we're going to have a night of a worship with my friend Nate Meeks. He is the worship leader for Radiant Church in Luggington, Michigan, from the west side of state. He's going to be here uh, leading with our team, and we are so excited to have him. It's going to be a great night. And everything is for free, you guys. It's our gift to you for being a part of what God is doing in this house, in this city. So make sure you mark your calendars. Make plans. If you're a Facebook person, go ahead and reserve that spot. Let us know you're coming so we can get an adequate amount of food as we celebrate what God is doing here at Radiant Church. And also one quick thing, today actually marks the one-year anniversary for us being in this building. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Good stuff. And if you were part of the help that was knocking down, you know, walls and painting and all the craziness you especially are celebrating. Or if you used to be a part of our setup and teardown team, you should be really excited about this building right now. Amen, church. Amen. Listen, all right. Well, today we are in a brand new uh, message series entitled Be Radiant. Now, this is uh, five week, maybe seven weeks. I'm not sure how long I want to uh, pull this out. I'm still making that decision on what it means to be radiant. What makes us radiant church? What are some of our distinctives? You know, over the last 12 months, we have seen so many new people come through those doors, and I've met so many people, heard so many stories that I wanted to take because we got fall coming up, and that means a lot of people do come back to church in that season. I wanted to take just a few weeks to really teach on what it means to be radiant. What are some of our distinctives? What are our core values? Now, each of these values will be rooted in a biblical text. So don't worry. I'm not just going to talk about values. It's not just going to be some leadership talk, okay? We're going to dive into God's word. But this gives me a chance to elaborate on some core doctrines 
as well. That's so important in our ever-changing world. Now, if you have not taken New to Radiant, that's coming up next month. You may have heard some of these values uh, beforehand, but also I've tweaked some of these, and, and actually there's some new ones here. And so again, I really was praying about what makes us Radiant Church, and so we'll be discussing that in this message series. Here's what I want to do. We're going to start off by looking at a passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at specifically verses 14 through 17. And um, 2 Timothy is known as a pastoral epistle. An epistle just simply means a letter. And a pastoral epistle uh, are those that are written by Paul, and they're written to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, obviously, and then they're written to Titus. Uh, the letter of Titus as well is a pastoral epistle. So we're going to go ahead and look at these few verses right now. If you don't have a Bible with you or a phone, um, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this, All scripture, all scripture, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God or the man of God, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. Church, our first core value of this series is word-centered. We are a word-centered church, and we believe that this right here is the word of God. I want to dive into what that really means for us and for as a body of believers. But before we do that, let's take a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, and um, Lord, thank you for your presence here already, God. And we do, God, uh, we're so grateful, Lord, as Kendall prayed. Um, what a privilege and what a blessing it is to be able to gather together, Lord, freely. Lord, we understand that not everyone has been given that gift, Lord, and we don't want to take that lightly. We don't want to take it for granted, God. Uh, help us to be grateful, Lord. God, um, would you unlock deaf ears? Would you open blind eyes? Um, and would you just soften our hearts, Lord? And maybe someone came in this morning with a hardened heart because they were hurt by a church. They were hurt by another Christian. Whatever the case is, God, I pray that you specifically would soften their hearts to hear your words, God. And may you give all of us, God, courage, boldness to really live out and to walk out what you're going to show us this morning. God, we thank you and we praise you and we do pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, our King. Amen. 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 All right. Well, consider the following scenario, if you will, for just the next few Moments. Let's just say that you're driving home one late night, and then all of a sudden as you're driving, you see flashing lights behind you. And all of a sudden you get these racing thoughts in your mind, like, okay, what did I do wrong? I, I, I think I stopped or made a complete stop at the last stop sign. Or wait a minute, wait, 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 I was only going five miles over the speed limit. Why am I being 
pulled over and you're nervous, you're unsure of your offense, so you just you quickly pull off to the shoulder of the road. And you're thinking, well, maybe it's a tail light, right? Maybe there's something wrong with a light, and that's why I'm being pulled over. Still, you reach for your registration, your insurance, in, and as the car comes to a complete stop. Now, an officer approaches your vehicle, and you finally catch a full glimpse of him, and you notice his attire immediately. He's not wearing typical law enforcement garb or this uniform, a typical uniform. He has on khaki pants and a black, you know, short sleeve polo. And you're kind of wondering what's going on. Now you're baffled at what's taking place. So before you hand over your, your license and your insurance and the, all that good stuff, you actually ask him a question. Sir, can I see some identification, right? Who is this person? And the question you want answered in that moment is this. By what authority do you have to pull me over? By what authority do you have to pull me over? I mean, it's a fair question, isn't it? It's a fair question. I mean, it seems strange that this supposed officer is not wearing a typical uniform or, you know, the, the typical sort of black outfit that, or, or blue outfit that an officer would wear. You have plenty of reason to believe that this person actually has no real authority to pull you over. And you're thinking, is this like a practical joke? I mean, um, is... Uh, a, a, a movie production crew hiding behind the bushes, and they're, they're, you know, they're about to jump out at any given moment. Is this sort of some sort of game? What is going on right now in this moment? And I want, I don't want, I want to just bring up this topic. It's the question of authority. The question of authority, right? By what authority do you have to pull me over? Now think about this for a few moments. When it comes to authority, generally speaking, I think of most of us. We kick back on authority. In fact, that's kind of a thing. That's, that's more of a thing, more so today than ever. We kick back on authority. We don't like people telling us what to do or, or how to do it. I mean, we'll tolerate some of it for our jobs because after all, right, I, I, you know, our bosses do have some amount of authority to tell us what to do on the job. But when it, when it comes to telling us what to do in our lives or how to live our lives, rarely will we ever tolerate that, right? It's the, the question of authority. Have you ever thought about this question specifically? Who has the authority to tell me how I should live my life? Who has the authority to tell you how you should live, how I should live my life? Is that, is that, is that myself? Is that yourself in your case? Or is that someone else? And if it's someone else, how do, they, how do they convey that meaning to you? How do they communicate that to you? In what way do they communicate how you should go about living your everyday life? It's the question of authority. Here we see this letter. Paul's writing, and he's in prison in Rome, and Paul's actually awaiting death. He's really close to his death, and these are Paul's sort of famous last Words And he writes to Timothy here, and he wants to encourage him because Timothy's a young guy. Timothy is overseeing the work of the Ephesian church, and he wants Timothy to be encouraged. Because why? Because Timothy is facing persecution, and Timothy is also facing what? False 
teaching from false teachers. And Paul's like, hey, man, you got to stay in the game. Stay in this. Be faithful. Notice what Paul writes here, verse 16 again. He says, Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, for this reason, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to I talk about this idea of what Paul is speaking of. When it comes to the question of authority, who has the right to tell us what to do, how to live our lives, what we should do with our lives, and what manner of how, the manner where we should live our lives and what we should do with our lives? Paul tells Timothy, listen, he says that all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, in fact, actually in this context, the word for Scripture is, is, uh, is graphe. It means writings. And I think it's used 51 times in the New Testament graphe. And in reality, graphe actually means Old Testament writings. That's what it truly means. But we also know that it truly is speaking of Old and New Testament. There are other passages of Scripture that give that indication, that indicate that. Paul's saying, listen, all Scripture, Timothy, all the writings that you have that you are made, that are made known to you, they are God-breathed, literally breathed out by God. In fact, it's really cool. The word that Paul uses I'm going to nerd out for just a moment, so nerd out with me if you, if you wouldn't mind. It's the word uh, theopanustos. Theopanustos. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Theopanustos. Theopanustos is this sort of uh, combination word, this compound word, and it's made up of two smaller Greek words. The first being theos, which means God, right? The second is the word pneuma, which means wind or breath, or in the New Testament, spirit. Paul says this, Paul says every single word in our Bibles, okay, right here, is breathed out by the mouth of God. God breathed into this. Yes, men did write it. That's true. Men did write this, but they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote. So the capital sort of A author, the, the ultimate author of Scripture is God himself. Here's the way Peter says it. Peter was close to Jesus. You know that. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 21, Peter says this, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, okay, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I want you to just picture a sailboat being moved along by the wind. That's that's. That's the picture here. Yes, men wrote it. They, it's not like God come, came over them and they, all of a sudden they were robots. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. It's that they wrote, but God made sure that every single word that they wrote was indeed the word of God. It was the will of God for humanity and for the world, right? It's this sort of sailboat being moved along by the wind. Yes, men wrote it, but the substance of what they wrote and, and, and where it came from was God himself. Now, D.L. Moody, thinking about the authority of Scripture here, D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist, no longer alive, of course, he said this. He said, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation, right? It wasn't just given for your information, but for our transformation. And I'll say it like this. Many books can inform you, but only the Bible can transform you. 
That is good. I think so. I, I came up with it this week. It's a little bit clever. Just a little brush my shoulders off a little bit and just, you know, encourage myself just for a moment. Just for a moment. Appreciate that encouragement, though. <laughs> Many books can inform you, but only the Bible can transform you. Why am I saying that? Because when we read the Bible, it's not just like another book, right? Not, think of a classic like To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Uh, many of us have read that book, but it's not just like reading a classic. Why? Because the reason Scripture has transformative power is because as you read it, God reads you. God is speaking to you. It's His words, and He speaks to you. So, so therefore, it is unlike no other book ever, right? The Bible is not just a collection of cute stories about God. Rather, it's God's self-revelation to humanity, right? Some people say, man, I wonder what God is like. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, I guess we don't. So what? I guess we'll worship that tree. Okay, sounds good to me. Let's worship that tree. And I say, no, 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 no. God has revealed himself. He ha- he's revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. No way. Yeah, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh, get it? No. And. <laughs> You can know the character of God. You can know what he likes, what he dislikes, what makes him mad, what angers him, what, what, how his wrath comes upon people, how to be saved. You can know all that. God hasn't kept that a secret. Aren't you glad? You, this is his revelation of himself. He reveals himself to mankind. God does not remain hidden. Now, I know some people think that. I wish I, I, wish I could just know what God's like. Man, it would be so cool if God would just show God, would you just show yourself to me if you're real? Just show yourself. God's like, right here, right here. Huh? What is that? The Bible. <gasps> no, yes. God has revealed himself to us, right? Paul's telling Timothy, listen, that God is the capital A author behind the words of Scripture. So therefore, Scripture has what? Authority to tell us how to live our lives. Scholars say this, theologians say this, that the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. That's what it really, that means that the Bible itself has the authority to tell us how we shall live in light of the gospel believers, right? Now, here's the thing with that statement. I mean, that statement in itself is so controversial today. It's so controversial that The Bible is God's word and that it it has the the authority to tell us how to live. I think it's even controversial, and I'm not even talking about the outside world. I'm talking about just Christians right now. It's it's highly controversial to Christians. It shouldn't be that way, but that's that's what I'm discovering. Um, You may have seen, like, in the headlines, you know, you guys, you you have, like, Marty Sampson from Hillsong. You know, I no longer, you know, say that I'm an Orthodox Christian. You know, Audrey Assad, I think her name is. You got, like, Josh Harris. He was a Christian pastor at one time. He wrote this book called uh, Kiss Dating Goodbye, blah, blah, blah. And all these people coming out, they, they write all these articles, and they're deconstructing the faith. Now, here's what they pretty much all have in common. The reason why they're deconstructing the faith is because they're saying this, I no longer believe certain parts of Scripture. Ooh. You should say, ooh. That's right. Ooh, yeah. I no longer believe that part of the Old Testament. I just, I can't, I don't know. I, I cannot line myself up with that, that part in Joshua. Nope, I don't like it. Therefore, I no longer, I've 
deconstructed my faith. I I, I no longer hold to to a sexual ethic from the New Testament and the the standards of Jesus. I just don't. You know, I just, I think it's narrow. I think it's offensive. I I, I think it's patriarchal. I think it's oppressive. That's the language that you hear right now. I no longer align to that. So I'm, I'm no longer an Orthodox Christian. I'm, I might be a progressive Christian, whatever that is, but I'm no longer this Orthodox person who believes what? The Scripture, right? And I know, I understand there's a matter of interpretation and there's all that. We don't have time to go there. But the main problem most of these people have is they have a problem with the Word of God. Have you ever thought about this question? Why does the Bible confront us on such a personal level? And I'm talking about Christians right now. I'm not talking about unbelievers because we already know, obviously, they're not going to believe it without the Spirit of God, right? Paul says that. He says, without the Spirit, we cannot discern spiritual things. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to say, ah, this is the Word of God. I'm talking to Christians right now. I'm talking to believers right now. Why, for believers, does the Bible confront us on such a personal level? And we're like, ooh, oh, ew, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if that fits in with my cultural context, Pastor Marco. That doesn't make me feel good. My feelings are king right now, right? I'm going to give you four reasons. And this is, again, this is speaking to the church. This is not speaking to unbelievers. I'm going to give you four reasons. Certainly this is not exhaustive. But four reasons why we, we at times find the Scriptures so confronting us on such a personal Level. The first one is this. Reason number one, we're a consumeristic Christian. We're consumeristic. We've become consumeristic Christians. What does that mean? That means this, is that we want a faith that adds to our life. But the second the faith calls something from us or asks something from us, we want nothing to do with it. We want a faith that just, that just adds to our life. Faith is plausible insofar as it doesn't impede on my autonomy or my what? My true self. Because self is king right now in culture. My true self. As long as it doesn't impede on my autonomy or my true self. I want to express myself in my own unique way, Marco. I want to do what I want to do. And this is, this, this, let me just say this. This type of faith is not actually Christian faith, but this type of faith is highly individualistic and it is oriented towards comfort. People who have a consumeristic sort of faith say this, I like what Jesus can do for me, but I don't like what Jesus asked me to do. Come on, someone. That's what we're seeing right now. I like what Jesus can do for me, but I don't like what Jesus calls of me. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the idea, here's, here's the thing. I think Tim Keller said this before. If the scripture never offends you, who actually is God in your life? Is it you or him? Reason number two, our political affiliation has hijacked our faith. Let me just say this. I don't care where you're at on the spectrum. If you're, you know, hardcore right, you're like, no, I'm a kickback on the, on, the, on the right. I'm all left. I'm all left. Look at me, progressive. I'm, I'm new and fresh and clean. I'm progressive. No, shut up, right? I don't, I don't, God, I don't care where you're at. Listen, all of us are susceptible to this, right? The idea is this. What happens when our, 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 our politics hijacks our faith is this. It's, 
We, we need to be reminded that it's important that our theology informs our politics and not the other way around. It's not our politics that are informing our theology, but we want our theology to inform our politics. Reason number three, we've bought into an emotional faith. We bought into an emotional faith. And this is a little bit like number one, you heard me, the consumer. But listen, this is a, this is a bit different. This is a, this is a faith that's based largely on experience, but not the word of God. Not the truth of God. It's a, it's, it's a faith based largely on experience, but not the truth of God. Now listen, I love experience. I'm a charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And we love the presence of God at this church. We love to pray. That's what we're, that's what we're moving towards, okay? And you, 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 we, we were praying up here, and the band was leading us, and we were going after his presence. And then Kendall was praying for a while. I mean, that's what we love here. Well, I don't want to be the frozen chosen. I want to be... A group of people passionate for the presence of God. Right? Amen? Right. But we also need the truth of God. Right? We need the truth of God. And in, in a, in a, a, um, an emotional faith, listen, says, I love the goosebumps. I, lo- I love the feel-good sermons. But I don't like it when the word of God hurts my feelings. And we've learned this from culture. Here's what we've learned. That if something doesn't feel good, well, it must be not be good. That's what we've learned. We've settled for an emotional faith with no truth. Okay? Number four, cultural norms determine what we believe. Cultural norms determine what we believe. Here's what happens. When Scripture doesn't match cultural norms, we deconstruct the words of Scripture by what we see take place in culture, okay? This is a type of deconstruction that we see today. And let me, just, let me just tell you this. There is such a thing as a healthy deconstruction. To some extent, it's healthy. Here's what I mean. Uh, let's just, I'm going to give you a situation. Let's just say you grow, up, you, you grow up in this legalistic faith where it's just like you, you can't get emotional during worship. You can't lift your hands. You can't even sing. You, 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 you're taught to not feel any emotion with God. You're just taught to stand there. Just look as mean as possible. Presence of God. I don't like the presence of God. Right? You're, just, you're taught that. You come to Radiant like, why are all these people so joyful? And they're lifting up their hands. You must be serious with God. Get serious right now with your life with God. Okay, whoa, slow down here, right? It's, it's, you need to de- deconstruct some things with your faith. Everything that you learned probably wasn't as accurate as you thought. So what do you do? You begin to what? Search the scriptures. And then you begin to dive in and to learn. And then maybe you read some really good books. Don't read the weirdos. Read some good books, right? And you learn how to interpret scripture accurately. And then what? And then you reconstruct your faith and it becomes what? More holistic, more robust, and I would say more biblically accurate. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing and, uh, to, to come into a place where you own your own faith. This is especially important, I think, with kids who grow up in Christian homes, right? They, they have to come to a place where they own their own faith, where they can wrestle with God on their own and come to a place of a robust faith in Jesus Christ. But the deconstruction that we see right now in our culture is not that. What's happening is this, is that people are approaching the Scripture with a worldview that comes from culture. And what they're doing is now they're examining Scripture based upon what they've seen in culture, and they're putting God on trial and saying, God, you have some explaining to do. 
Okay, wow. You're, wow. That's the audacity, right? I mean, we become the judge. And we judge what is good and what is bad, right? We, we, we approach the biblical text with moral assumptions. And then, then what do we do? We redefine what is good and what is evil according to what, what we think. Okay? We have to determine who is the ultimate arbiter of truth. Is it God or is it us? Here's the deal. None of this is new, right? None of this is new. In fact, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at that in just, just a moment. But I, the first attack on mankind was, a, was an attack on God's word. And I want you to notice what Satan says to Eve in this conversation. Verse number 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You should underline that. You should circle that. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's stop there for just a moment. What is Satan doing to Eve in this moment? Satan, listen, he's attempting to get Eve to question God's word. Did God say that? No, no, I don't. Listen, I don't think that's what he said. Certainly God did not mean that. Listen, that's, you heard wrong. No, 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 that's not, listen, Eve. Listen, that's not what God means here. You heard wrong. There, there's something going on here. He's wanting her to question God's word. It gets worse. Verse number two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat, from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Right? God, 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 is want, God is wanting to establish himself as the only source of wisdom for Eve, not herself. That's what God wants. God says, I'm going to show you. I want to be the only source of wisdom for you. That's why there's this rule about this tree in the garden. Okay? Satan says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is Satan doing here? Well, in short, Satan wants Eve to question God's goodness and God's intent or God's motives. He wants Eve to question who, is, who God is. Satan wants Eve to doubt God's word. He wants Eve to ask like, some of these questions here like, can I really trust God? Can I really trust God? What about this one? Does God have a hidden agenda? Have you ever thought that? Does God have a hidden agenda? What about this one? Is God withholding something good from me? Shoot, I never thought about that. What if he's, with, he's, he's trying to hold something back from me? That's, this is what Satan wants from Eve. What if God doesn't have my best interest in mind? Here I am, I'm reading this book, and I'm trying to live according to, to God's law, according to his word, but, 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 but what if he doesn't have his be, my best interest in mind? Shoot, I never thought about that. Satan says to Eve, listen, Eve, you know what God said, but the truth is you know better. You know what's good for you, and you know what's bad for you, Eve. You don't need anybody else telling you what, what's good for you. And you, Listen, 
you just got to live your own life, Eve, all right? You know better, Eve, of how to run your own life. So just go ahead and do what you want to do. You don't need God holding you down. You don't need that pastor speaking truth to you. You don't need the elder coming to you and saying and pointing out God's word to you. you no, that, that's just going to hold you down. That's so oppressive. You don't need that. You know better. Satan ultimately knows this, that an attack on God's word is really an attack on God's character. Okay? You see, if we dismantle, if we, we begin to tear apart, apart the scripture and we're, we're, we're deconstructing only because we want to come to some sort of higher place of illumination or whatever it might be, listen, all of a sudden, we, again, I've said this before, but we become the judge, and now we want God to explain to us. Now we're doing this. We're asking this question, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Now, here's the truth from all of this. If we won't trust God's word, we almost certainly won't entrust our lives to him as well. This is why this is so important. If we don't trust God's word, we almost certainly won't give our lives over to him. We almost certainly won't let him sort of dictate the direction of our lives, right? We'll let something else determine what that is, our feelings, our friends, culture, um, some book that we read, whatever it is that wasn't Christian. We'll let something else determine what we do in our lives. Because Here's the reality. You can't say, I, I can't say, hey, I really love God and I trust him with all of my heart, but there are some parts of the Bible where I just think they're just they're so offensive, they're so irrelevant, uh, they're so patriarchal, they're so oppressive, whatever the language is you hear nowadays, right? All, all this jargon, it's, it's, it's so outdated, it's antiquated, it's, it, it doesn't fit me. And I, I just choose to go with what I feel in that verse. I just choose to do what I, I'd rather do myself in that section of Scripture. No, 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 that's just not the way it works. You can't say, I really love God. Because what? Because now all of a sudden you have what? How, you've put upon yourself a consumeristic faith. I love what Jesus can do for you, but I don't like what he asked for me. That's not biblical Christianity. That is something else. It's a, it's a lie. It's a satanic lie from the pit of hell. And many, even Christians, are sort of susceptible to this, are moving in that direction. This is what Satan wants. Satan wants all of humanity to do this because, again, feelings have become the standard for how we live. But let me just remind you, church, that even feelings, all feelings must bow to the name of Jesus Christ. All feelings, let me say that one more time just so I, just so I can get up in your grill. All feelings must bow in the name, to the name of Jesus Christ. All feelings. Listen, I'm not being a hater I'm not being unempathetic. Oh, my goodness, the language nowadays. <laughs> I'm simply telling you the truth of God's word, right? The truth of God's word. All feelings, no matter what we feel, have to bow down to 
Jesus himself. And so we have to make a decision. We have a decision to make. Who has the authority to tell us how to live? How we shall then live in light of the gospel? Who has this final authority? Is it us? Do we get to determine what is good and what is evil? Do we get to say, okay, that's good and that's evil. That's good and that's evil. That's evil, that's good. Or is it God? Are we allowing God to say what is truly good and what is evil? And then when he says what is good and what is evil, are we then therefore submitting to that definition? That's what we should ask ourselves. A quick story for you. Um, earlier this summer, at the beginning of summer, um, I had to buy a brand new fan for our bedroom, and it was one of like the first hot days in summer. And so my wife texted me. Uh, I wasn't home, and she said, hey, would you, would you grab a fan on your way home, pick one up at Meyer or whatever? So I, just, I said, sure. So I went to Meyer. I picked up um, like one of the nicer ones, you know what I mean? It's like black. It's like remote control. You know, it's like it says it's really ultra quiet, which, by the way, it is. I'm so happy about that. And, uh, and so I get home, and it's this big box, and uh, I'm like, babe, look, I'm like, this, this is an awesome fan, and uh, got it on sale, and I uh, can't wait to use it. And so I, I open the box, and, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, it comes in several pieces. And I'm like, okay, pull on part of the base. There's like a blade. There's like the, the, the grid and, and the grid or whatever, the grading, whatever it is. I'm like, there's like the engine part. I'm like, what the, what was this? And I'm just, all of a sudden, I have all these pieces on, like, the, the living room floor. And if I can just be honest with you guys, I'm really not that great of a handyman. Don't, don't say anything to anybody about that, please. It's, it's a little bit of a touchy subject with me. Um, and so I'm not super great, but my wife is in the living room, and my pride gets the best of me, right? So I'm like, yeah, all right. I see what you're I see you eyeing me up. Right? Screwdriver. I'm like. Start putting this thing together. And I, to put this thing together, I have to consult the manufacturer's manual, right? The, the owner's manual. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay. And you can never understand those things, right? It's like the tiniest picture. Of the, it's, like, it's like font seven, right? Who reads font seven? You, you, okay, anyways. Okay, sorry. I'll get off my soapbox. And so I'm putting it together. The point is, here's the idea, that I have to consult the, the owner's manual, the manufacturer's manual, the one who created it, so I can know how. I can know what? How to put it together and how to best operate this fan. Now, maybe I could have figured it out after a bunch of hours of just struggling and saying some bad words out loud or whatever it might be, right? But you get my picture. I think you get the point of the illustration. We... People, how is it that we can know what's best for us? How is it that we can know what direction our lives should take? How is it that we should know what decisions to make if we don't consult the one who made us? Our creator, our God and our king. His words that he left us. How is it that we can determine what is good for us and what's evil for us if we don't consult his word, right? I want you to listen to the prophet Jeremiah. He has this profound statement in Jeremiah 10, 23. Jeremiah says this, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It's not for them to direct their steps. Jeremiah says, listen, people, our lives are not our own. We, we, we can barely choose what we want to eat for dinner. Come on, somebody, right? How are we supposed to be the moral gauge in culture when we can barely choose what we're going to have for dinner? I can't even do a meal plan for crying out loud. It is a struggle, for real. Pray for me if you wouldn't mind. But Unless what? We consult our God, 
our creator, our king, who has what? Who has wonderfully and fearfully made us and then left us his word to go by. Why is this so important? It's important for this reason. To call Jesus Lord is also to take God at his word. To call Jesus Lord is to take God at his word. The word kurios is literally the word master. That word Lord is master. We're calling Jesus our master. Master, you tell me what to do. You, you show me how to live in light of so many different messages right now, God. In light of the, the cultural direction, in light of progressivism, God, you show me how I should live. And, and you alone, God, can determine that. Luke 6.46, Jesus says this himself. Jesus says this. Notice what he says. He says, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You can't call Jesus Lord and, and then say, well, I choose to do something differently. The, the, the reason why you can call him a Lord is you say this, God, here's your word, and I'm going to submit to it. Now, I might not always understand it, so there might, yes, interpretation. I might need to buy some good books like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, right? Or there's another book, great book called 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. That's another great book all about interpretation. How do we approach the scriptures? How do we read them? How do we interpret letters? How do we interpret the book of Revelation? Uh, yeah, we, as Christians, we have a duty to, to dive in, to, to figure some of that stuff out. Yes, I can help you, but I'm not going to be with you 24 hours a day, right? It's our responsibility to learn how to, what? To eat God's word on a daily basis. Radiant Church, I want us to be a word-centered church, a word-centered people. And my question for you this morning is that will you begin to build your lives on the word of God? Will you begin to build your life on the word of God, right? Jesus says those who, who, who build their life on the word of God, it's like a man who, or those who build their life on the word of God and then therefore put it into practice is like someone who builds their house on a rock. The storms come and, and then the waves crash and, and the, rain, the rains fall. They, they come down and that house stays intact. That house stays standing secure. But the one who does not build his life on a rock or on God's word is like the one who builds his house on sand. And, and the waves come and they crash and the storms come and the rain falls down and that house just it comes to nothing. It just crumbles to the floor. A life that is really ends up in nothing and destruction. And Jesus says, listen, only the person who builds their life on the word of God, that's the person who will put it into practice. That's the person who finds success in life. And not just our version of success, but really what scripture says success is. And that is what? A life that is lived in obedience to God. So will we, listen, will we build our lives on the Word of God or will we build our lives on the voices in culture, on political ideologies, on CNN, on Fox News, whatever, whatever it is for you, right? What will we build our lives on? And I want to challenge you to build your life on the Word of God this morning. Let's pray together, church. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that we have access to your word so easily. God, when, when many of us, God, 
don't have access, uh, don't, many people don't have access to your word, God. They have to tear, tear pages out of, the, out of a Bible and hide them in their, in their pockets of their pants, Lord, or wherever it might be. Many people have, across the globe, have to memorize sections of Scripture because they can't even read their Bibles, Lord. They, if, they're, if they're caught with a Bible, they'll be killed or beaten on the spot, Lord. And here we, God, here we are in America. We have more access to Bible, and yet we probably don't read it. We, pre, we probably read it the least of all the countries in the world, God. God, would you remind us, Lord, what it means to be a word-centered people, God. God, and may we be a people, God, who will submit our lives to the word of God, not to the voices in culture, not to political ideologies, not to what's popular right now, not to our own feelings, God, but to what the word of God says. And Lord, may you give us wisdom, Lord, to search the scripture, to study the scripture, God. May you teach us how to approach scripture. God, we know that many sections of scripture are difficult. But God, give us wisdom. You've given us pastors. You've given us leaders that will come alongside of us, God. But put us into action that we might correctly approach the word of God. That we may study to show ourselves approved, God. That we might be people of the word of God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Let's clap our hands for Jesus this morning.